This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 191. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I'm joined on this episode by Mr. Jacob Paulson. Howdy, 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 howdy. Welcome, Jacob, with your, all of your howdies. Thanks. <laughs> today, folks, we have a really awesome episode prepped for you, mainly because there's a lot of great content that we need to cover today, and we're going to do our best to cover it as quickly as we can. We have literally like a dozen or more stories to cover. Now, some of these we'll, we'll probably go through fairly quickly. Um, several of these are really important legislative updates. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, some laws uh, being looked at, uh, perhaps repealed even in Colorado, as it re- relates to the magazine capacity law. Washington State's looking at passing additional gun control because they recently uh, had a change in the balance of power in their state senate. Uh, Vermont also looking at more gun control, and that's something we don't like to hear from a state like Vermont, where they generally have had quite favorable gun legislation. Virginia struck down a gun control bill, so we'll, we'll look forward to talking about that one. But guess what? Here's a big, big, big one for today, and that is some kind of, I don't know if I say insider information, but it was a, an interview done with a the sponsor behind the National Reciprocity Bill, and his recent uh, discussions he's had with the White House on as far as getting that legislation passed. So that one's really exciting to see. I hope we can actually see some action on that legislation if it's going to move forward or not. So with that, today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. I'm wearing my shirt today. There you go. Jacob does not have his hat on. I, I don't know where my hat went today. Sorry. So, there you go. I'll put the hat on. <laughs> you're fine. Uh, anyway, so guardiannation.com, great place to get more training and awesome gear, really reasonably priced. Uh, trust me, it far more than pays for itself, even just by sticking around for a few months. But we hope members will stick around for a long time. Uh, recently, we just sent one-year anniversary coins to all those that have been around for uh, one solid year. And just another way of us saying thank you to all of you out there that continue to support us and Guardian Nation. And we do sincerely appreciate that. We're going to be rolling out some really great content here in the next uh, week or two as we attend SHOT Show next week. Uh, Maybe we'll even have some premium content for members. Who knows? We'll see. See how that goes. Today's episode is also brought to you by Andrew Brink as the Law of Self-Defense. Uh, Andrew is the expert in the industry where it comes to understanding the laws surrounding uh, self-defense. You're going to want to go to concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D to learn more and be trained by the best in the industry where it comes to understanding the laws. We know, I mean, Jacob, the most common questions we get at concealedcarry.com are about legal uh, laws and implications of using self-defense. So why not go to the best source on that on that subject? Yeah, and it's interesting. Yesterday, you and I connected with a, uh, an instructor who we had not met previously, and we were having some conversations about some certain things that have happened. And because he had taken one of those courses from Andrew Branca, the way he was able to articulate and understand things was very impressive. And I think that you will find that's also true for you. That's right. Yep, uh, we're big fans, so go check out Law of Self-Defense, concealedcarry.com forward slash 
L-O-S-D. And a third sponsor today is Pig Lube. I've got my Pig Lube cleaning kit right here. This is the compact cleaning kit. So uh, it's a great little, great little uh, compact cleaning kit. I mean, you got everything in here you pretty much would need. And there's more stuff hidden behind that plastic insert there as well. Um, so Pig Lube, but also that's the cleaning kit. We've got the actual Pig Lube itself. Get it oriented the right way here. Here we go. Great stuff there. Love Pig Lube. And this is the Pig Lube Cleaner or PLC. That's a big bottle there. That's a special one they did just for me because I use a lot of it. So anyway, go check out Pig Lube today. Pig Lube is found at concealedcarry.com forward slash Pig Lube. All righty. So Jacob, let's talk about some news stories. Here we go. First one up. This is actually just kind of a little, we'll call it our opening hook today because uh, this story was really something. Uh, it made the rounds on social media this week, the video that is. And this is the story where two men entered a 7-Eleven convenience store attempting to rob it. And shortly after they got in there and got control of the store clerk and made their way behind the store counter uh, to gain access to the register and other things. A security guard busted in on the scene, uh, opening fire, wounding both of them. And hilarity almost ensued in a way because many people were, were finding uh, <laughs> some uh, you know, humor in the fact of uh, some of the things that this guy said. Uh, as he continued to engage the suspects, one of them or both of them said something along the lines of, it's fake. My gun's fake. It's fake. It's fake. And he says, well, mine's real. Uh, he actually acknowledged too, if you listen really carefully, he says real or fake. I, I don't know, but mine's real. So you better, you better comply sort of thing. Yeah. The whole thing's a little bit hilarious. On one hand, I love it because it's like, Hey, you know, like we got a security guard, you know, more or less doing his job. Um, but on the other hand, I, I also find it a slightly disconcerting, right? Because for one, you know, th this, this uh, instance where Hard to say for sure if human life was being threatened. This guy just busts in, starts shooting. He's shooting one-handed. He he just you know, <laughs> it's it's hard to say from this video if uh, if everything he did was really the correct thing to do. But uh, that said, you know, good good to watch and and to you know get some entertainment value if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it is interesting because uh, I've seen some interesting comments on it. Uh, one of them was he did the right thing. He only wounded them in the arm. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, okay, I, I couldn't help myself on that one. I had to respond to that individual. Uh, first of all, uh, he did wound at least one of the suspects in the arm, but it appears that either there was multiple wounds on that suspect or that that wound or that bullet uh, went through his arm and into his chest because you do at some point later see him kind of grab his chest and you can kind of hear him wheezing a little bit from uh, struggling to breathe a little bit, obviously from having just had his lung shot out. Um, and so, you know, I, th I don't know that this guy was trying to wound anybody just in the arms or legs or hands. Uh, that's not advisable. Obviously we, we talk about that frequently. Um, and I don't think that's what happened here. I think this guy, you know, he engaged him. He shot what he was able to shoot. Uh, maybe he was not the most accurate that he could have been. Who knows? I don't know. But I, the fact of the matter is he got the job done. As far as we know, the suspects survived their wounds. Uh, everybody, you know, innocent in the situation survived, you know, to live to see another day as well and can go about their lives. So a fascinating story. And 
And one, it's hard to some, always draw humor from these very serious altercations that take place every day in this country. But uh, this guy was definitely one that was interesting to watch. So, oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I think that's fair. I, I, you know, I used to own a security business and I've done my fair share of armed security. I can't say I even ever had to draw my gun, let alone go gangster style, one-handed, you know, at a couple of you know, gas station robbers. Yeah. Now on to our first uh, story about new product releases. Uh, Springfield Armory teased several days ago, posted an image on their social media accounts that if you looked closely, hinted at something coming perhaps in 45 ACP. Uh, Couldn't tell exactly what the gun was. It turns out it is a Springfield Armory XDS Mod 2 in 45 ACP. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I suspect this will be popular amongst some, you know, some of those Springfield Armory fans out there, particularly those that like the Mod 2 configuration. And now you're seeing that Mod 2 configuration come to the XDS line of guns, first released in the 45. I imagine it'll be a short time before they also roll it out in 9mm. You know, yeah, I think that's probably likely. I mean, the Mod 2 has got a nice, uh, a, several nice uh, features. I, I like the the change in the serrations on the slide. Uh, I like the the change in the kind of the grip texture. I think all around there's some nice things about the Mod 2, and the XDS is a popular gun already. You know, like to believe this is going to be a good hit. Yeah, I sub- I, I'm sure it will be a good hit. I'm not sure I'm as crazy about it as some people will be. Um, I, I actually don't care much for it. And I might be an odd one in this regard because a lot of people seem to like the Mod 2 uh, configuration, you know, that's been released now for several years, uh, first in their their larger uh, sized uh, frame guns. But because I don't really care for the uh, the grip on them. Grip itself, the, the contour of it's nice, right? Um, I think that the shaping and all of that, I think was really well done. It fills the hand nicely. I think it's a nice feeling gun as far as on the hands and good to shoot. However, I don't care for the grip zone. And <laughs> now this one, I, I noticed didn't have grip zone written on the side of it, according to the product images released by Springfield. What I don't like about that is they took this nice big flat slab on the grip and labeled grip zone. And really it's just a smooth surface where my support hand wants to go and is a- unable to get very good purchase on the grip. So yeah, just, a little counterintuitive. It's, it's, yeah, that's exactly my feeling. So that's, that's never been something that I've really been crazy about, but I know a lot of people like the mod twos. Uh, they, you know, so that's, that's cool. Good for you. If you're in that boat, great. If I had an XDS, I'd, I'd want to probably just stick with the original XDS series. But um, anyway, I'm sure, like you said, it will be a hit. Now on to Recoil uh, Magazine or RecoilWeb.com. Story from Ryan Kleckner. Now this was reported on a whole bunch of sites, including we we even got a a, a news press release on this. Um, And this was Franklin Armory releasing a, we can't call it a rifle apparently, or or shotgun or AR pistol or any of those sorts of things because they're saying it is none of those things, that it is a uh, a non-NFA firearm. Uh, that it is a short-barreled firearm, so it's 11.5-inch barrel. It has a rifle stock on it, not a pistol uh, arm brace, but a rifle stock, and it is an AR-15-type configuration. They're saying that this thing, you know, that they found some sort of way to to build this 
and make it not fall in the category of, of rifle, shotgun, pistol, uh, or an NFA controlled item. And thus it should be in theory, a, I'm going to put in air quotes, a rifle that is short barreled, uh, that would not require a tax stamp for you to purchase and own. Yeah, Ryan did a great job on this article. So I'm glad that we're sharing this link in the show notes because it's it's really good. He goes through and does a really good job of just kind of breaking down, you know, what what exactly how does the NFA determine, you know, the National Firearm Act determine determine or how does it define what is and what is not a controlled item? And as as we generally would know, you know, if, if you have a, a rifle and the barrel is shorter than a certain length, then it, it it's now a short barrel rifle, and all short barrel rifles um, would would require a tax stamp. So they clearly we know that it's short enough to be a rifle. So that's that's really not not a question. So that you know Ryan kind of suggests that maybe it has something to do with the rifling in the uh, barrel because to define the word rifle requires. Uh, that uh, there'd be certain kind of rifling in the in the barrel. Um, a different kind of rifling might mean a shotgun. So he's like, well, maybe the rifling is neither rifle or shotgun rifling. You know, it's neither smooth nor does it spin uh, the bullet. And yep. so anyway, it's a really good, really good article, and uh, we'll just we'll just wait and see. But my favorite yep. thing is the opening here, where he says that uh, multiple sources within the ATF have confirmed that there has been no approval for this product as a non NFA firearm. So Ryan essentially calling out Franklin Armor a little bit and saying, hey you're advertising that you have this thing that's almost certainly a short barrel rifle that's not a short barrel rifle and you're claiming that the ATF um, has has confirmed as much but the ATF is telling us that they have they have no idea what you're talking about that's right and that's really key here uh, is this really just a case of, of big time hyped up me, uh, marketing where we're gonna get to shot show next week lay our eyes on it and go oh great it still doesn't have any approval and thus nobody can buy it or is this just a case where they believe that approval is coming and maybe it will have come by next week or in the near future? Who knows? Uh, you're, you're right. Mr. Kleckner did a fantastic job breaking down a lot of the different uh, sides and analysis of this story, particularly in he, he is suggesting, because there's been some, some folks saying, well, perhaps the barrel doesn't have any rifling. Uh, but it still wouldn't necessarily classify, uh, you know, it could still perhaps be judged as a shotgun based on ATF definition, even in that case. So the idea of a barrel with rifling, in other words, grooves cut in it, lands in grooves that don't spin, that's an interesting one. And it would be also interesting if that's the case, if that's what this might be, it'd be interesting if that can maintain any sort of reasonable accuracy uh, I imagine that it wouldn't shoot out very far for, for you know, more than 50 or 100 yards and be re- reasonably accurate. But I think the other thing he was getting at here is, could it be a different trigger mechanism? And this one was intriguing to me. I think what he was implying is that, could this be a trigger where the gun does not fire on the initial pull of the trigger, but only fires on the release of the trigger? Because according to ATF definitions, that might be the workaround here where they have found a way to sort of skirt the definitions on <laughs> on these different firearm components and parts, particularly on the trigger piece, where the gun doesn't fire when pulled on the trigger, but only when released. That would be really interesting. So we'll see. We'll be there next week. We'll lay our, hand, our hands on this thing. We'll see what it's all about. So let's see here. By the way, I have a comment from Charlie, um, and he was wondering about the Glock 19X. 
And uh, we, we actually did talk about it in a previous episode. I'm sure you didn't miss that, Charlie. It's just we're not at SHOT Show yet. We'll be there next week. That's when we'll be able to actually see and report back a little bit more uh, in detail on the 19X from Glock. So that was that other recent release that we talked about on the podcast. Here's another really interesting, interesting release. Yeah, that's one word for it. Alien Gear has been known to be an innovator in this space. Uh, they have big-time lovers of their holster products and big-time haters. I'm sure this is only going to widen that differential because here they have released and announced a holster. <laughs> it looks very similar to their their uh, Shapeshift. Yeah, the yeah. Shapeshift brand holsters. It, you know, it's it's in the same sort of design and look and all this, but it has something else going on here, and that is an integrated lightweight fan. Yes, a cooling fan, which uh, comes uh, with three different settings, high, medium, low, and you charge it, you know, via USB cable on your nightstand next to your, I guess, your your cell phone and your whatever else, you know, at night, and you mount that sucker up in the morning and you turn on the fan, you know, and supposedly it'll last 15 hours on the low setting. And so this this cooling fan is blowing air through the holster to, you know, not just make it breathable as many holsters are, but to really cool keep you cool, uh, you know, especially during those hot summer months. So, you know, on one hand, it's like, geez, this might be the next big thing in holsters. On the other hand, it's like, you got to be kidding. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So, you know, only, only time will tell if this is amazing innovation or if this is completely ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know how I feel entirely, although I'm leaning towards the, this is ridiculous. Um, I'm saying it's ridiculous because, and I know there are guys out there will disagree with me on this. Is it really that big a deal that your holster doesn't breathe or have good airflow through it? To me, it's not. I mean, we're talking about this, this small of an area on my body that is covered by something perhaps that is restricting airflow and sweat or whatever, perhaps as well. I just, I mean, I get it. I have worn holsters where that area starts to feel a little warm uh, or sweaty or something. Not fun, not cool. I'm not entirely convinced this little unit inside this holster is going to be able to actually do as effectively what we think or what they will be marketing it as being able to do. Um, But it is interesting. I give them props for sure on being innovative and doing something no one else has probably even thought of because I'll tell you, I didn't see this coming at all. Mm -hmm. Like, who would even think of this? Let's put a fan, a cooling fan, just like a computer, <laughs> I guess, like a little computer cooling fan in your holster. Now, you'll know, by the way, Jacob, and uh, others, if you're viewing this on Facebook Live, you'll be able to see that there is there is the section behind the gun uh, that is a little bit elongated. So this holster is quite a bit wider than it otherwise would have to be footprint-wise. Uh, is that going to be noticeable in the waistband? Is it going to be taking up additional space? They've had to put some kind of air-cooling channels in the back end of this holster. To, you know, to, Is that wider than it typically would be to make this work as well? Um, there's a lot of things I can see here design-wise that might, while there may be some benefits in one area as far as uh, comfort, is increased with the cooling aspect or whatever, but maybe it's also countered by being a little bit thicker and bulkier and less comfortable that way as well. So that there's that, there's that consideration. And then secondly, I've wondered this too. I mean, fans have gotten quieter and quieter and quieter through the years, obviously, 
but I, my laptop's sitting right here running and I can hear it running, right? <laughs> like I got another computer that if I turned it on, I'd be able to hear the fan and that one running. Now I know this might, that might not be a perfect apples to apples comparison, but I'm just wondering how quiet is this thing? And could we have a situation, particularly on the high setting where you're kind of moseying about through, you know, a public space and someone hears some whirring sound from your belt and is like, What's going on with your belt? oh, here comes Jacob. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, my greater thinking or concern or question here is that, you know, all a fan does is move air from one place to another. It doesn't actually cool air down, right? I mean, you, you need something above and beyond just a fan in order to cool something down. The, 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 pre the premise of a fan is either it cools you off because air hitting the skin has the sensation of, of feeling cool or in the case of a holster like this, because there's nothing really hitting the skin, it's just moving air through. That means that the place where air is coming in to the fan has to be cooler than when it's where it's going out. Otherwise, what's the point? You're just moving around hot air, right? So if this yeah. thing is in, in my waistband and it's just moving around the air that's immediately next to the holster, I don't see how that's really cooling anything down. So well, anyway, it, we'll, we'll all if, see, right? If it's able to move air through the holster, assuming the ambient air temperature outside is is cooler than that air that's right up tight close to your body it should result in a cooling effect but it has to have access to that ambient air right and so if well, the intake for the fan is right next to the outtake <laughs> all it's doing is circulating the same hot air that's next to my body i it looks to me like the fan unit is probably drawing air in from one place and then trying to blow that air throughout the rest of the holster with it kind of seeping out you know through the lining of the holster yeah fair point but We'll uh, see. I mean, my bigger concern is compressing all of that and not allowing air to actually get fully circulated through it. But it'll depend on how they design those air channels and if it's actually effective or not. Yeah, maybe maybe next week we'll be on this podcast uh, from Shot Show saying, "Oh my gosh, this alien gear thing is genius! Everyone's going to put fans in their holsters now." <laughs> but I doubt it. Uh yeah, I'm gonna stay tuned. All right. So we have a story written by Dean Weingarten, uh, truthaboutguns.com, Colorado magazine capacity law ripe for repeal. Um, and, and by the way, there's actually a couple of bills that have been proposed in Colorado. Uh, they're, they're, they, there's two bills, one to repeal the high capacity mag limit law that was passed in 2013, and the other one to uh, remove uh, the uh, universal background check requirement. Both of these are likely to go nowhere, and here's why. Now, truthaboutguns.com and Mr. Weingarten are very optimistic in this regard, but knowing what I know, but both Jacob and I are here locally in Colorado and familiar with Colorado politics. Uh, well, I don't know if Jacob follows it quite as closely as I do, uh, but both of these were assigned to um, the uh, uh, the committee on like veteran affairs and government policy stuff. I don't know. I can't remember exactly the name of the committee right now off the top of my head, but pretty much everyone knows that that committee is the place you send all bills that you want to die. And so the likelihood of this getting through committee and getting before the house or Senate for a vote or anything like that is not very likely. Yeah. They, I mean, this, this, a law like this one is proposed every year. So I don't, and it always gets defeated, right? Every year since 2013, we've attempted to repeal the uh, restriction that was put into place in 2013. So I have no reason to believe that this year would be any more successful than the past five. Yeah, that's or four. That's or right. You know, we, we we do have a uh, 
uh, House or Senate that is generally, I mean, it's just a little bit more Republican than it is Democrat and the House is the other way around. Um, And so, and then we have a Democratic governor who I'm pretty sure will not sign any of these pro-gun bills. So it's just not likely. However, we have to report on it because certainly it's worthy of note that we should try to do everything we can to get these passed. Cause these laws are stupid. They don't make sense. We're going to talk about another story here in just a minute from New York state that shows another example of how laws just don't necessarily always work the way we want them to work. So, but there you go. This law has been proposed and it will likely die, but <laughs> please contact if you expect, particularly if you're in Colorado, contact your state senators and, and the representatives. So turning now to the Seattle Times, seattletimes.com. Yeah, we're going opposite direction here in Seattle. Yep, yep. And so now we're talking about Washington State that has seen their state um, uh, Senate flip from being just barely Republican controlled to now it's Democrat controlled. And immediately they're bringing before uh, the Senate a bill to ban bump stocks and high capacity magazines. Yeah, and I checked the uh, the bill. I read it, and referring to high capacity magazines, this Washington State Senate bill would ban anything that holds more than ten rounds. So th- these numbers are always arbitrary. I never know how any of us come up with how many rounds are okay and how many are so dangerous or something. But uh, as you mentioned here in Colorado, we're limited to uh, being able to acquire magazines that hold fifteen or less. And if passed, the Senate bill. And Washington would restrict people in Washington to only being able to acquire magazines that hold uh, 10 or less, which, which is actually relatively common. There's a decent number you know, of states out there that have uh, magazine capacity limitations at 10 or less. And so the good news on that would be that at least you know, firearm manufacturers do make 10-round mags uh, because of other states that have similar restrictions. Whether or not that'll pass or not, who knows. We also have the uh, Senate Bill 5444 which would take basically in in Washington, you have a kind of basic background check and then you have an enhanced background check. And right now an enhanced background check is already required to obtain a handgun. And they're saying that so-called assault rifles should also require an enhanced background check. I don't, I don't even know the difference between their basic and enhanced background check, nor do I care. Uh, What I know is that you already have to pass one to get a handgun. So they also want you to have to pass one to get an assault rifle to me, the, the greater danger there is potentially that they're trying to define uh, what assault rifles are. And that's always fun and scary and ridiculous at the same time. And then you also have uh, Senate Bill 5992, which would ban bump stocks, any type of trigger modification that allows rapid fire. And we've talked several times about the danger of, of those kinds of things, because it's more than just a bump stock product. It's, you know, any sort of trigger modification or even in a, a, you know, a, an aftermarket trigger potentially uh, could could you know, allow rapid or fire. I mean, how do you define rapid fire? So there's some danger there on, on that one. So there's a lot of, you know, things up here for grabs in Washington. And I think all of them are equally horrible. Yep. That's right. So we'll keep an eye on this one. It will be sad, I think, to see, I mean, Washington's already moved down this, this road in the years past of becoming a little bit more gun controlled. And this just takes it another step or two or three further. And it just, there's times where, you know, in certain parts of the country, you feel like it's almost like a losing battle. Um, 
there's certainly other states where we see positive things happening. Uh, we'll cover a story from Virginia about that as well. But first off, or next up, now in Virginia, or excuse me, Vermont, we have another story about gun control, and this is not one I necessarily expected to see. Bearing Arms reports in Vermont, a hearing is being held on universal background checks. So, and this is occurring in the Vermont Senate. Uh, They will be holding this hearing on universal background checks, looking at this, a law for requiring all firearm transfers, similar to what we now have, unfortunately, in Colorado, in California, in New York and Maryland and all sorts of states that now have this universal background check law. Uh, Vermont, of all places, the, the state that for years and years and years and years and years has had constitutional carry and generally fairly favorable gun laws is now being swayed in this in this direction as well. And that's disappointing to see because we know universal background check laws just do not work. Yeah, that's putting it lightly. Um, <laughs> I'm on pretty strong record of having very strong opinions against universal background check laws. In addition to that, though, they're also bouncing around uh, proposals to enact extreme risk protection orders, which we've talked about several times because yep. uh, other states have those in place as well. So uh, the extreme risk protection orders, uh, you know, they remove due process. They take away additional constitutional rights other than the Second Amendment, as far as I'm concerned. And obviously, uh, you know, universal background checks, preaching to the choir on that one. That's right. Turning now to Virginia. In Virginia, we see that there was a push for stronger gun control laws, but uh, that has been dealt with. Uh, It says here, according to a story on WJLA.com, local uh, ABC News affiliate there, that newly sworn in Virginia Governor Ralph Northam, his push for stricter gun laws was dealt a swift defeat Monday with a Republican-led Senate panel blocking legislation to increase background checks and limit guns at public rallies. So this was a response to the uh, rallies that happened last year. Uh, you know, you kind of had some, a white supremacy group involved and guns were present and some things happened that shouldn't have happened. And it was unfortunate all the way around. And so they were, pa- they were looking at passing a law that would restrict the possession or display of firearms at uh, any sort of public rally or public event. And then also increasing background checks, essentially going for universal background checks, just like we were talking about a moment ago that they're talking about in Vermont. Uh, But both of these measures were defeated by uh, the Republican-led Senate. That's why it's so key that we have uh, these means whereby we can have veto power, if you will, over this type of legislation. Um, this, This was good to see because I was a little bit concerned for Virginia when I saw that Governor Northam won his election this last November. And at least there's a little bit of a check and a balance on, on that, you know, in, in that state government. Yeah, that's right. And so it's always fun to, you know, on one hand, talk about a news story where, oh no, this is being proposed here. And then to turn around and say, oh, look, it was just defeated there. So that, that kind of keeps the, the, the status quo and keeps, keep, keeps hope alive, I guess. Yeah. Keep in mind that, Jacob, there, in several of these stories that we have shared, there's a common thread or theme uh, where a lot of these 
state senators and representatives are saying that their their motivation for um, you know the reason why we've got to pass these laws, the universal background checks, um, whether it's banning bump stocks or triggers that increase the rate of fire, things of that nature, they are all citing and referencing the horrific event that happened in Las Vegas in October. Right, like that so, somehow justifies the action, or that right. this all the, that these actions would somehow have stopped that event. Right? I mean, universal background checks is a common thread here. We keep reading about, you know, the the, the shooter in Vegas and in, in Texas. They both passed background checks, whether they should or shouldn't have. They did both march into store and pass a background check. So nothing being proposed would have stopped any of those things. Yeah, yeah. And, and unfortunately, we see background checks could potentially have a reduction in gang-related crime. Maybe, hard to say, and probably not, because we've, we've seen it many, many times in states where they've passed universal background checks. Gang activity does not necessarily decrease. We see that right here in Denver, by the way. Um, but then, but, but these mass shootings, so often, it has been, oh, we've got a story playing on automatically in the background here. Don't know where that came from. You know, we see in um, with uh, the, the shooting in Las Vegas, with the shooting in California, the shooting, uh, all many of these instances, uh, the uh, Aurora Theater shooting a few years ago. All of these shootings, these mass shootings, involved shooters that didn't necessarily have uh, criminal backgrounds that were able to pass background checks that were that purchased their weapons legally in most cases were able to purchase ammunition legally, even if there was an ammunition background check requirement like California just rolled out, it wouldn't have stopped that necessarily either. It wouldn't necessarily stop uh, reloading if that, you know, if you did make it somehow harder to get a hold of, of uh, ammunition, folks could still reload their ammunition potentially. So, you know, they'll start to go after primers or powder or bullets themselves or something somehow, somewhere. So, like, We've said many times before, these laws will likely result in no change yeah, to uh, these horrific events. Yeah, the, mo- the motive is, uh, is not what, what they say it is. <laughs> because if, if, the, if the motive were these kinds of events, then they would be proposing something that would actually help these kinds of events. Yep. Yeah. The, please note that the anti-gunners, the pro-gun control folks... I'm not hearing any of them right now talking about mental health, proposing ideas with mental health. And I know that's a sticky situation and, and an issue and one that I don't, know, I don't necessarily know what to do about either. But well, so is gun control, <laughs> but they don't seem to have any issue talking about that. Right, right. But <laughs> it, I don't know what the answer is with some of that, but we do see many of these shooters have some sort of mental uh, deficiency, uh, mental illness, uh, history of something. I don't know. But what are you going to do about that? I don't know. But it'd be a lot more helpful to have a dialogue, an open dialogue between the Democrats and Republicans on these issues as opposed to the Democrats right now that seem to be primarily pr- proposing let's get universal background checks, let's, you know, let's uh, outlaw bump stocks, all this stuff. How about mental health? Anyway, all right. Let's move on now to a story from the Post Star, poststar.com. 
this was an interesting one. It takes a little bit of kind of reading through it and parsing through it to, to really understand and get to the, to the, the crux of the issue. But essentially what we have here is in, in New York State, you'll recall several years ago, a law was passed, the SAFE Act, the 2012 SAFE Act. And this introduced a whole new, several measures of gun control laws. One of those was a, a, a certification, if you will, or registration of pistols where pistol permits were required. And those that were issued pistol permits, it says here in this story, uh, if they were issued those before January 15th, 2013, they had to recertify them by January 31st, 2018, and then do so every five years after that. The recertification process is free, unless you're in New York, New York City, by the way, where registration <laughs> and permits in New York City are darn near prohibitively expensive. Uh, but the, on the statewide basis, the recertification process is fee and requires gun owners to confirm pedigree information and details of the handguns they have. And it can be done online or by U.S. mail service. Okay, if you fail to recertify by January 31st, 2018, state law makes, says that it, that is a misdemeanor crime. Here's the interesting thing. Local sheriffs are saying basically they're not going to go and try to make any sort of effort in enforcing this. Yeah, no, they're 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 going to check out, right? I mean, that's what we're seeing. Every single one of them say, um, yep. you know, here's one. Our office is not going to go look for people. If the governor's office wants to enforce it, they're going to have to turn it over to state police. Yep. Uh, Warren County Sheriff says he has no intention to direct his staff to actively enforce this state ordered requirement, as it would take a lot of manpower. Saratoga County. Uh, said his office not only doesn't have manpower to go to the homes of permit holders, but also doesn't have anywhere to keep the guns that would be confiscated. Uh, and it's more and more quotes like that. Uh, no one's going to mess with this because it's, it's unrealistic. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and both of these, uh, well, the, the sheriff has, has said, and re- he's basically saying we'd have to refer it to the state police. We, we, we defer to the state police on this matter. The state police has also said, well, <laughs> not a whole lot we can probably do in this, in this case. Here's the interesting thing. Only about a third of those with pistol permits have actually gone through the renewal process. And that's really concerning right now to, to government officials in the state of New York. They're concerned that it's getting very close to this deadline and they're not seeing the applications coming in. It's almost as if people are rebelling against this statute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and you know, this is not the first part of the SAFE Act that we've seen uh, gun owners essentially refuse to comply with. So it's, for me, it's just more the same. Yep. Yep. Once again, I, I said, you know, this, this is an example where laws passed to hopefully achieve some end goal. It doesn't look like it's working out very good. And when you pass laws that are very difficult to enforce, people are not likely to actually abide by those laws. And by the way, we see that right here in Colorado too where we pass the magazine limit and people break that law all the time, all the time. And it's not that hard, you know, and, and sheriffs and even police chiefs have been open about the matter and saying, we we can't enforce it. There's not a whole lot we can do. Mm -hmm. So, and that's the same, the same is true of universal background checks. How are they going to police universal background checks? They can't, they don't, you can't. All right, so on now to a story um, from California. Fresno 
attorney Kevin Little, he announced a federal civil rights lawsuit on behalf of two Fresno domestic violence victims. Now, this happened back in 2018. Well, the, the, the incident happened in 2018 where a woman was killed by her estranged husband and another in, individual was also injured in that, in that incident. Uh, basically, they are suing or they, or they were suing the state claiming that, hey, we had a restraining order, order against this estranged husband. The police failed to protect my clients, this is the attorney saying this, the police failed to protect my clients from this man who had a restraining order against him. Yeah, this this is not new. Uh, we have very long-standing case law all the way from the U.S. Supreme Court down for decades now, making it very clear that the police are not liable for anything that happens to anybody ever. That, that ultimately the law says that the, the law of the land, according to the U.S. Supreme Court, is that you are responsible for your own safety and security. That the police are, you know, they're not liable if anything happens to any of us. We are all legally uh, self-reliant. We're all legally on our own and responsible for our own security and safety. And that this, this reaffirms that existing Clarity, you know, in one more case, one more judge, one one you know, U.S. district district court here, uh, making it very clear that quote, there is no constitutional right to be protected by the state against being murdered by criminals or madmen. End quote. And that's always been the case, and it continues to be the case. And you know, we're preaching to the choir here. Our listeners know and understand very well that you know, at the end of the day, if you want to to ensure that you and your family are safe and protected from from violence and things around us, you got to take it into your own hands. You know, bless the men in blue who are out there doing their job that they're paid to do, but don't count on them. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, and speaking from a law enforcement perspective, I mean, no cop I know wants to see people get hurt. You know, they all want to try to help as best they can. They would like to save lives if possible. But every cop also understands they can't be everywhere at once. And there's many times or instances where they can't be there for sometimes several minutes. And a lot of bad can happen in several minutes. So it's interesting because when we look at the UK or Europe or Australia, where, I mean, they've, the, much of the rest of the world, and it's been this way for a long time, and in some, some countries, they've never really had a strong self-defense law. But we see the rest of the world where that is the attitude. The police are there to protect us, yet the police cannot. We reported several weeks ago about the, uh, it, the huge surge and uptick in uh, knife-related crimes, uh, crimes and murders and assaults being committed uh, by thugs with knives. Uh, and by the way, there's, there's, there's firearm-related crime there too, even though handguns are outlawed. But knives have seen a huge surge. And folks can't defend themselves. Jacob, do you remember, uh, it was a long time ago now on the podcast, we did have an episode where we talked about, uh, it was one of the British police agencies put out this bulletin and said there's only one acceptable acceptable self-defense tool that you can have or use or carry on your person do you remember what that was no it's not ringing any bells but 
If I, if I could, alarm. if I just took a guess, yeah, it's not going to be a anything. rape alarm. Yeah. This bulletin from from the British police clarified that pepper spray is not acceptable, a knife is not acceptable, a taser is not acceptable, a gun is most certainly not acceptable. You can't use any of these things, even in your own home, in many cases, in use of self defense, but certainly on the street, and thus you must depend upon and rely upon the police to save you, which they cannot do. Right. Forget it. So we see California, New York, other places, unfortunately, and I hate to keep beating up on California. I know those of you listening and watching, you're like, but, but please speak up for us. Help us. Don't give up on us. I hear that. But, but we talk about it and we point it out and we, we rail against these out of control uh, uh, government officials where it comes to these laws because of this attitude, because it's the wrong attitude, because coming up in a few minutes, we have a story where an individual is able to, I think, likely stop a mass shooting at a workplace. And that's incredible. Police can't, couldn't be there on time. The sad thing of that story, we'll talk about it, like I said, in detail, the sad thing is that nobody, as far as we could tell, had a gun on their person to defend themselves. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of leave that for you to figure out how uh, individuals in this workplace were able to defend themselves. Had they had a gun, it may have, maybe could have been resolved even quicker. Every week on this podcast, we share stories where lives are saved because of law-abiding citizens able to carry weapons for their for their defense and able to use them in defense, unlike much of the world. Coming up, here's another story. This one from the Daily Caller. And this one's this one is the one I was kind of teasing earlier on, saying this is a big deal, I think, if this is true and if there's actually something to this story. So this story is basically an interview with North Carolina Republican Representative Richard Hudson, who is the main sponsor behind the National Reciprocity Bill that just got passed through the House a month ago. And he said that he has been in touch with the White House. He has been communicating with them and with the president about this law. And that, according to him, the White House and the president, President Trump, is in favor of this bill and would like to see it passed. And if it would get passed through the Senate, as it's already been passed through the House, that the president would, he would sign it. So yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, when he, in, during the election, he was saying this is something he would do. So we're always grateful when someone actually sticks true to their election promises, right? But uh, certainly it shouldn't be a surprise that President Trump would be behind this. Um, what it doesn't give us any real good indication on is where, so where, are, where are we now? What's going on? Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that we've made any progress whatsoever as far as getting this uh, to the floor of the Senate uh, and or getting it passed through the Senate. So, so status hasn't changed, only that you know, Representative Hudson essentially saying, hey, no, I'm, I've been in contact with the president about this. He continues to support it. I have another meeting with him soon. But for me, that, that doesn't change anything. I don't... I, I, to me, it's like, yep, yeah, yeah we, we knew that, right? Yep. Yeah. So what, what we know right now is that there's been basically zero action in the Senate on this legislation. 
And that's really disappointing to see. Um, the hope is, though, that Representative Hudson and President Trump, particularly, so I mean, he, he's basically enlisting the White House's help to put pressure on Senate Majority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell and the Senate to take action on this legislation and to let him know that if we can get this through, the president is ready to support it and sign it. Folks, those of you listening or, or viewing live, what are your thoughts on this? Um, what, what more can we do to encourage the Senate to push this through? Yeah, send us an email at podcast at or otherwise connect with us on our social channels. Let us know what you think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, what, what more can we do? And, and can this even get through the Senate? It does have a little bit of an uphill battle. Um, and by the way, Rep- Representative Hudson has been very open about his views on that. And he, he says it's filibuster rule, uh, basically requiring a 60 vote majority to get a lot of these types of laws like this through the Senate is dumb and outdated and was never included as part of, it's not in the constitution. It's a rule that's been around for a long time. I'd be curious what your thoughts are on that as well. Uh, it, that realize that could have some implications on both sides. If we see the power shift in the Senate, uh, things could go the other way very easily too. If that, uh, filibuster rule was done away with as well. Interesting things to consider there. I wanted to share, by the way, a comment here from Arius. He says on Facebook, finally found you guys in the live podcast. Glad to be here. Less than a year ago was careless about the second amendment, but had changed my mind about, about it totally. And now I'm a CCW and most of what I've learned has been from your podcast. It's been a blessing to me to keep up the awesome work. We really appreciate you Arias. Thank you for uh, sharing that with us. So let's get now to our first justified story. This one in Amarillo, Texas. I'm going to hand this one off to you, Jacob. Newschannel10.com reporting suspect killed another arrested following an overnight robbery. Yep. So this is a kind of cool one because Texas has a pretty sweet uh, law that is being applied here. Essentially, what you have is you have two criminals that go into La La Bella Pizza. Sounds delicious, by the way. I (laughs) love pizza. So you have two criminals that go into La Bella Pizza. And uh, when they come in, what you have is one of the employees who is a licensed firearm carrier. I love that. A licensed firearm carrier. That's slightly accurate in Texas. I mean, I what they mean carry. is he has a license to carry, but a licensed firearm carrier is a little awkward. Anyway, he <laughs> fires his weapon at one of the bad dudes after he was threatened. And that suspect was struck and taken to an area hospital where he later died. Now, someone's being charged with murder here, and it ain't the good guy who shot the bad guy. The person being charged is the accomplice, the second criminal who was not struck and did not die. And in Texas, that's, that's how they roll. Uh, essentially, what they're saying is, hey, as a co-criminal in this, in this act, in this criminal act, you are now responsible for the death of your cohort because you, you know, you're an accomplice to the crime that ended up, to ki- ended up killing, killing your, your, your accomplice here. Yeah, that's right. So... This story, though, I mean, it's quite an interesting one, right? Because you got uh, this. We're, we're going to get into the fun with the fun parts now. Yeah, I mean, fun in in that. I mean, you have a, you basically have a hostage situation, right? I mean, uh, the, the, these guys come into this to this store, uh, into this restaurant. Uh, they tell the occupants, you know, hey, I mean, probably telling them to get their stuff out, get their crap out, you know, get their phones out. Hey, we're robbing this place. We're robbing this joint. Um, 
and the one of the employees was grabbed by one of the perpetrators of the crime was grabbed by him and used as a hostage and that's when the assistant manager of the restaurant stepped in he was carrying concealed drew his weapon fired shot the hostage taker he goes down the hostage is freed um, the hostage taker uh, passes away unfortunately they end up arresting the other suspect later on they catch up with him they get him a little while later I mean, it's just, it's a crazy story. And, and sometimes too, people kind of, I think, fantasize about this idea of taking hostage, you know, type shots, uh, which is one of the least likely things you'll ever see happen. Uh, I, I don't know that I even necessarily spent a lot of time training myself personally to be able to, to do that. I mean, really what it comes down to though is, is the need to make a very critical, highly accurate shot, perhaps close up, perhaps at a little bit of distance. And it's not something I think is probably easily done because obviously the the risk of a miss is is very huge. Um, but uh, in this case, that's what this guy was faced with, and he felt like he had to take the shot, and he was able to get it done. That's remarkable. It's just not something we see every day. You know, it's funny because in hindsight, you know, we we sometimes have some sense for what the intentions of the criminal were. Right, like, oh, these guys looks like they came in. Um, they asked for money. They were trying to collect valuables. They were they were thieves, right? Uh, now that doesn't mean that they wouldn't resort to violence, uh, deadly violence at that. But imagine, you know, you you don't always have all that context. You don't always have this, you know, bird's eye view with all the surveillance cameras and all the words that are being said when you're in this situation. You might just be in the kitchen and hear some loud noises and be like, oh, what's going on? And you walk out, and all you might see is a person you don't know with their arm around the neck of a person you know, and they have a gun in their hand and they're pointing it at them. That's all you know, right? And, and so sometimes you know, when, when we read these news stories or you hear me and Riley read them, you might be inclined to, to sort of have this, you know, this hindsight view, which is really phenomenal and wonderful, and we can see all this context, but we have to remember that in those moments, you might not know anything. All you know is that there's an immediate threat and it's, to the best of your knowledge, it could be that, that your, your friend's about to die. They're about to be shot in the head for all you know. So, so that action, you know, that quick and swift action, as far as I'm concerned, is, is commendable. Uh, to your point, it's not an easy shot always to make. We don't know exactly what, the, what, what it looked like, um, but it's not, not an easy shot to take. And it certainly does reinforce how important it is that you have uh, the right amount of training and practice that you've really cemented those skills relative to site acquisition and and grouping your shots so you know where they're going. That's right. Good stuff. Now to a story from the GwinnettDailyPost.com. Police say Lawrenceville homeowner shoots intruders, one dead. Uh, Gwinnett police are investigating after a homeowner shot and killed an intruder inside his home early Monday morning in Lawrenceville. Officers were originally dispatched, and by the way, that, I should clarify, Lawrenceville, uh, Georgia, right? Gwinnett County, Georgia. Yep. Officers were originally dispatched to the home off Cambridge Drive shortly before 3 a.m. in reference to gunshots being heard. When officers arrived, they met with the male homeowner. The homeowner had been shot in the leg. Wow. He said officers acted quickly and applied a tourniquet to the homeowner's leg. The male told authorities that while sleeping, he heard a back door crash in and he went to investigate the noise. The homeowner who was armed encountered three males. Saldana, Saldana I believe is the name of the homeowner. Uh, or excuse me, that's the, the police 
uh, corporal that's uh, speaking to the media here, Corporal Frederick Saldana, he said gunfire was exchanged inside of the home and the three males fled the scene. Arriving officers located a deceased male who had been shot a short distance from the residence. The name of the decedent was not released. Homeowner was taken to a local hospital. His status is unknown. I mean, this is this is pretty pretty remarkable as well. I mean, we've talked about it before, and I featured stories. I, I like to feature stories. Not that I like this sort of thing necessarily happening, obviously, but uh, but I, I definitely will make an effort to share stories that I think are realistic in that they 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 bust this idea that I think many people have that their gun is a magic talisman. You know, that it's a lucky, you know, rabbit's foot that's going to keep them from harm and danger and that they will prevail in all situations. And here you have a situation where three guys bust into this dude's home and he is seriously wounded in that process. I mean, he, he would be seriously wounded if police felt it was necessary to apply a tourniquet. A couple of things that, to add to that, and I'm sure you've got your own thoughts, Jacob, is the police officers had to apply that tourniquet. How much better might this man have been had he been able to apply a tourniquet himself? Yeah, that's that's a good thought. And, you know, I was I was thinking about um, you know how stormtroopers can never hit anything. We always joke about how bad guys on TV, you know, never never can hit anything. Well, these criminals hit something. You know, we don't know how many of the three suspects were armed. We know that at least one of them was because a gunfight ensued, and one of those shots hit hit the good guy. Right? He's he's bleeding now. So. You know, thinking a lot about, you know, how, how to take a position, a strong position of cover uh, when you engage a threat is really important. Um, sometimes, you know, there's this tendency to get caught off guard, perhaps, and just like, oh, my gosh, no, I heard this, you know, glass breaking noise. I grabbed my gun. You know, something about that situation should tell you that you probably need to approach cautiously. You probably need to take a strong position of cover. It'd be something else entirely if I just go to open my door because I think that Amazon's delivering a package and someone starts to force their way in, right? That, yep. that oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm in a really bad, ugly situation there. But if I hear a glass break and I retrieve my firearm and go to check it out, um, man, I should be really cautious. I should be taking a good position of cover. I should be thinking you know, about what, what I'm doing. I don't know if there are other people in, the, in this house or not, if the homeowner was on their own, own, but I might be able to leverage other adults' assets. I might be able to get 911 on the phone. There might be a lot of things going on. So, so just consider that you know, we, we need to not just run you know, toward gunfire you know, haphazardly. We need to run toward gunfire in a very cautious uh, and, and strategic way. That's right. Yep. Uh, another thing, another thought I had on this story, Jacob, is the fact that there are three intruders. Now, how how often would you think, Jacob, that we have home invasions that we talk about on this podcast, where there's only one intruder versus multiple intruders? Well, so, yeah, I would say low percentage. If I had to throw something, I'd say fifteen percent of the time it's just one BG, whereas eighty five percent of the time it's multiple G- BGs. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was thinking too. And, and I wish I could say I, I had a real solid statistic on that. I'm going to try to compile something. I'm going to go back and look at a lot of our past podcast episodes and try to compile some statistics from some of that because I think it might be interesting to, to note some of these things, especially in preparation for a podcast episode we have, we have coming up on Thursday of this week. I'll introduce that here in just a moment. But 
I, I would agree with you that I think it's a fairly low percentage. It's certainly less than 50%. It's likely less than 25%. I think you're probably pretty close to, to being dead on with, with your number there. Uh, and so my point being, when we have home invasions take place, more often than not, there are multiple suspects. How many of you, and I, I, I'd like to hear from you guys, from you listeners, drop us a line, podcast at concealedcarry.com or in, in, uh, on Facebook or whatever. How many of you are carrying a high, a high capacity gun? And by high capacity, I would say... Mm, 12 plus? How about that? 12 plus, sure. 12, I was going to maybe say 10, maybe, but just, just thinking about those in California that can't have something more than 10. <laughs> sure. But, you know, how many of you are carrying like a, like a double stack? gun versus something that's fairly limited in capacity. I'm curious, okay? Because, and then the other question that's a follow-up to that is how many of you are actually carrying at home? Are you ready to defend yourself in your own home? Um, also, I this happened at three, three in the morning. So, I, I know that we've had comments on the, on the podcast before, those of you that, you know, just put your, your gun on the nightstand. And we've talked many times about the importance of securing firearms, even if you don't have little ones in the home uh, for various reasons. Uh, but I'm just curious, how many of you actually carry at home and how many of you are carrying a gun that would be considered as maybe a higher capacity? Because Realizing that so often these home invasions have multiple intruders and that's key. I think that's a great point to make uh, as far as the case for carrying something bigger than a small micro compact single stack. Mm-hmm. And, and, and spare ammunition, I might add. You know, whatever gun you may feel you're restricted to for whatever reason, uh, probably not that hard to double your capacity by carrying a spare round. Uh, here's a comment from Charlie here on Facebook. He says 15 plus one and a 17 round spare mag. So for example, maybe that's a Glock 19 that has a 15 round mag, but he's carrying around a Glock 17 spare mag. So the point is that it doesn't take much to dramatically increase capacity, uh, you know, by just having a spare spare mag. And sometimes you might be able to put a rather large spare mag in that gun that otherwise wouldn't fit in a concealment profile. So, you know, yep. having a spare mag is is paramount. Uh, and it just just like having you know, a higher capacity firearm is paramount. Uh, whatever you think you might be restricted to, you can at least double it with a spare mag. Yep. And I just put up, I just, uh, you know, pulled out of my holster my, uh, it's the, the P320 uh, compact that's 15 plus one. And then anytime I'm carrying something like that, if I had the ability to carry a, as a spare mag, a higher capacity mag than I do, I mean, why not? Because honestly, a 15-round spare mag versus a 17-round spare mag or whatever in my little spare mag pouch doesn't make much difference. It doesn't really change the concealability much. So good good thoughts from Charlie there. Um, Charlie is carrying, he adds a FNS-9C. Uh, it's a great little gun. Um, Aria says, I carry at home always with one in the chamber and double stack and always at home. Always never leave it on the room or safe. Glad to hear that. Um, Jason says, if I'm awake by FNS 9C, that's funny. It's the second person that said they're carrying a FNS 9C. Uh, and I know that is far from being the most popular handgun in the world. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, and he's carrying a 12 plus one with a spare mag of 17. That's great. Kevin adds, uh, 
is it safer to defend a position rather than approach given the potential of multiple intruders? Now, we've talked about that before on the podcast. I think it was like episode 20. That's pretty early. I think the title is Isolate the, Isolate the Family Defend the Room, IFDR. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, the, the short answer is it's good to defend a choke point, but you got to determine what is the, the best choke point to defend, right? In, in my case, you know, where I have children in the home, if it's a, if it's a home invasion in the middle of the night, I'm going to defend the place that, that isolates and protects all of my family. So, you know, my bedroom door only protects me and my wife, right? So uh, the, the answer is you need to take a strong position, whatever that might be. Uh, and and uh, what would be appropriate based on your your circumstances? Absolutely, I, I do think it's always best practice to not necessarily go looking for that strange noise you heard in the home, uh, at least until you spent some time evaluating and further listening. Because obviously, if you have an intruder in the home, if if you heard that initial break in noise, you're likely to hear additional noises. Take up that position. Be ready to defend the position. Uh, you know, finding a choke, a choke point in the home is, is great. Stairs are a great place. Like if your bedroom's up on the second floor of, of your home and you've got a, a, a narrow stairwell that goes down to the main floor, Jacob's home is a little bit different because he's got kind of a big wide open stairwell area. Loft got, thingy. Yeah. yeah. But you've got a place where you can kind of take cover and defend yourself. And so look for those opportunities to where you have a good, good defense point, a choke point, maybe, maybe perhaps for any potential intruders. Um, and then listen and, and uh, uh, be, you know, be evaluating as to what's going on in the home. Uh, if you hear additional noises, then you know you might have, you might have a problem. Uh, but you do need to be cautious because you might find that the noises you're hearing are actually a, a child or a visitor that you weren't expecting, an animal or something else. And so you really do want to be careful, not necessarily going looking for trouble uh, with your gun in hand. Um, there's definitely been plenty of instances where folks have accidentally shot, uh, you know, loved ones. And, and, you know, there was a, a good one I think we shared. I mean, I don't mean a good one, but, a, but a, a story that illustrates this point very well of a father that shot his daughter not too long ago. So anyway, just some thoughts there. Um, yes, Christopher adds, use the fatal funnels in your own home to your advantage. Absolutely. Zach's carrying an SR9. Um, there's a good question or, or point, by the way, that Kevin dropped in here too, uh, relating, you know, talking about the multiple attackers thing. And he said, think of the Walmart scenario. Just because you have eyes on the one BG or bad guy doesn't mean the other can't get the jump on you. And that is so, so, so true. Mm -hmm. We had another one. I don't know if you remember it, Riley. It was great because we had surveillance video and there were three intruders in the home and the female homeowner responded. Do you remember that one? I was just going to go there. <laughs> that was great. That was so fun. I would, if I could find the link real quickly, I'd share it. But she she starts to fire and two of the suspects exit out the front door and she essentially follows them to the doorway and continues to give fire. And the third suspect, who is further into the home, comes running out of the hallway behind yep. her and then out a side door and she never even sees him. <laughs> behind her, like he actually runs in like directly in front of her. And yeah, I don't even think she sees him because I, I, I mean, there's no reaction on her face or her body language or anything that would suggest she even saw him. I mean, it's in the dark and she's probably so glued in, you know, tunnel vision, if you will, in on those guys that she just chased out the door. I mean, that's a re- remarkable surveillance video and it's a perfect example. I mean, how easy, easy would it have been for that thug that's in that back room or whatever? She has no idea he's there. 
Yeah, I so mean, true. He could have clocked her. He could have stabbed her. He could have taken her down, taken her gun from her. Or if he happened to have a weapon on him, he could have used it on her very easily. And she wouldn't have even seen it coming. So mm-hmm. really good thoughts here, by the way. And we appreciate those of you adding, adding to the discussion with this. Now, uh, Vinay says, so where would you strongly suggest that a weapon be hid for use if needed? And how do you protect if you have children in the home? And these are really good questions. And I don't, don't know how, how much time we have left to really get in to, to this too far. But go back to that episode, um, Isolate the Family, Defend the Room, has some really good ideas and tips uh, in that episode. I'm just going to try to go ahead and pull that up now and see yep. just what episode that was, just to confirm that for you. Um, but and then also the episode about keeping a firearm in the nightstand would be another good one here to address your your question. And this might be something we need to talk about more in the future. Uh, but the, the short answer is probably, you know, have guns where you think you need them, you know. Yep. And, and, and then the second answer is if you have kids in the home, have those guns in safes. Yep. By the way, I, I was correct in uh, stating that it is episode 20, Isolate the Family. Oh, good room. Yeah, I can't believe I remembered that um, out of almost 200 episodes. And the other one, if I could pull it up real quick that you were just talking about, that one wasn't too long ago, Jacob. Nah, maybe in the 150s or something. Uh, quick glances, I'm not coming up with it right right away, but uh, we'll, we'll find that out. So a couple quick thoughts. Number one uh, is to, it's always preferred to have that that gun on your person. like. Talking about where you'd hide guns, have it on your person to begin with. Now, if you if it's nighttime and you're in bed, then that changes things up a little bit. Obviously, though, in your room, you have plenty of opportunities for a quick access safe, some other storage device, or even if you're one of those that is okay with or comfortable with having a gun in your nightstand, I don't adv- advocate for it. But you know, many people are are in that boat, and that's that's up to you know that's your that's a personal choice. But um. Having it on your person is ideal or close to your person. Um, secondly, I, I've got a few, you know, I'm not going to disclose everything, but I have a few quick access safes in various points in the home, uh, whether I'm upstairs or downstairs or, you know, on this side of the house or that side of the house, there's, there's a few locations where in the event I don't happen to have a gun on me or this one goes down for some reason. Hopefully, if I had to, I can get to one of those other uh, quick access safes and, and grab one of those secondary firearms if need be. Also in the bedroom, I, I not only have one firearm that's for quick access use, but I have multiple in multiple quick access uh, storage devices. Uh, so where you can grab one, hand it to your spouse or to your significant other, uh, so they have something that they can also use if need be. Uh, so, you know, or if you need, feel like you need more than one. So don't forget, by the way, too, in the, in the dark, you're, you're going to want some sort of light source to be able to see. And preferably, I like to see a, a handheld uh, light. Um, and I also have a lot of times in my, my primary firearm in the, in the safe is got a weapon mounted light as well. So you have best of both worlds. You don't go around searching in the house with the weapon mounted light unless you're 100% certain that you have an active threat. And even then, why are you searching through the house? So, all right. Didn't want to get way off there. So, tried to run it down pretty pretty quick. We got one more story, though, to cover. And this one, too, is just amazing. And I kind of highlighted it a moment ago, uh, suggesting that a mass shooting may have been prevented in this case. And this was in Norman, Oklahoma, where one woman is being hailed as a hero for stepping in during a shooting at a Norman, Oklahoma business. I might just add that there is a second hero that nobody is talking about, 
which I find interesting. But what this woman did, did was really remarkable. Colette Wind is the name of the woman. She worked, uh, she's worked for six years at this business called Berge Wind Power. Uh, she is now being hailed a hero, it says, for stepping in Wednesday when a man entered the Norman business with a gas mask and firearms and confronted his wife. Berge Wind, Powder, Wind Power's president, Michael Berge, was inside and heard the shots. He heard screaming. He had some headphones on. He took those off, heard, heard what was going on, immediately got down and called 911. All right. So that was, that was good. That was very quick action on his part. Colette Wind, the woman, was in another room and she intervened. She stepped in. The gunman then shot her. He put the shotgun down. And by the way, if you, there's several videos, including some body cam footage that came from officers that arrived on the scene. If you, if you watch all these different videos, I'm just gonna, we're just going to share the one story. And then if, you'll see there's some linked stories to that as well, that if you follow through all this, the backstory or all the details will start to make themselves clear. And it appears that the man with the shotgun shot Colette Wind in the arm with the shotgun. That's, that's going to hurt a little bit. And she's actually still, as of the time of this reporting, uh, was in surgery uh, for that wound to her arm. But for some reason, the perpetrator at that point puts the shotgun down and he goes for a di- another gun. One of the other employees picked up the shotgun and shot the bad guy with, with it. Okay, this was as he was going for one of his other guns and he had, it said, at least two other pistols. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> wow. My, my head is just like exploding right what? now. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's interesting because the article talks about the hero being the person who essentially sacrificed herself. Right? She stepped into the fray, uh, and and we don't know all the details, but certainly you know it would seem that that is admirable. And you know, props to Colette and you know for for essentially sacrificing herself to some degree for the safety of others. But to your point, for me, there's also another hero here, uh, who is the person who picked up the shotgun that had been set down and use it against the BG and ended this little, this little conflict. You know, someone who walks into a business with a mask on and three guns does not intend to just kill their wife and go home, right? Yeah. This was going to get really, really dirty. And I don't, I don't know why he put down that shotgun. I don't know if he thought he was all out of ammo or it's some mental rehearsal of his. It was time to go to the handgun. But uh, thank goodness that someone had the presence of mind, whoever that was, the, the other hero, to pick it up and fire back. Yeah. Uh, that, that was kind of my point. I mean, by the way, Colette Wind absolutely is a hero, I think, in this regard. It was just in a recent episode, Jacob, as we were talking about, I think it was, was it just last week? We were talking about the, the uh, you know, th- uh, things that you might do or be able to do to defend yourself in a school. Um, yeah, you know, different, week, different yeah. things you might improvise for weapons, uh, different tactics you might employ uh, in a public school setting. And some of that applies here. One of the things we talked about last week was in many instances with these active shooters, an initial display of force or conflict where you're, you're, you're countering their attack oftentimes will result in, in uh, stopping the attack. And at the very least will delay the attack so that they can no longer wound as many individuals, any other, other individuals. This woman is remarkable luck, remarkably lucky. I mean, for one thing, he only shot her in the arm. I don't know whether that was intentional. I don't know whether he was like, hey, lady, stop messing with me and, you know, thinks he's going to shoot her in the arm or whatever to 
get her to stop, which obviously, I mean, most people are going to be discouraged at getting shot in the arm with a shotgun. Um, but, uh, but she deterred him. She slowed him down and whatever it was that occurred, I think there was just, it, it created just enough opportunity for this other employee to step in. Now, whether this other employee was coming from another direction, another room, uh, maybe he was initially going to maybe try to tackle this guy. I don't know. We don't know, but clearly an opportunity presented itself when the shooter put his shotgun down, which was then able to be retrieved and used against him. And by the way, he was shot in the face and apparently survived. As of right now, from what I've heard, he survived this, this, that, that shot to the face. Uh, he was severely wounded. He was tra- transported to a hospital. There hasn't been any additional details since. I suspect he was using a birdshot in that shotgun. So this is just, I mean, wow. I mean, we were just talking about all this gun control. Uh, we, we, we know the, the state of things in much of the world where self-defense uh, rights are really stripped away from individuals. We know that guns in the hands of good people can stop attacks like this uh, and has done so. And I, I think that's what happened here. And that's the other thing that's not being reported, Jacob. And then granted, we don't know all the motives, uh, but I strongly suspect that based on the man wearing his gas mask, like you said, carrying multiple firearms, he wasn't going in there just to confront his wife, shoot her dead, shoot himself, and be done with it. I really think he was planning on on hurting a lot of people that day, and it was yeah. cut short thanks yeah. to Let Wind and this other unnamed employee. Yeah, I mean, you, gas masks suggest very strongly that he thought he was going to be in a shootout with law enforcement, right? He was he was worried about tear gas or something else from a, a special weapons team. So, yeah, there's there's no there's no doubt this was going to get much more serious. You know, we talk about all the luck here. You know, the, the obvious luck is particularly for, for our audience and that, that's you know, most blaring here is they're lucky they just were able to pick up the bad guy's gun and shoot it back. You know, how much more effective would this have been if we just had our own gun, right? And not to mention more reliable. Uh, you know, Christopher here comments, risky using the suspect shotgun. Could have been malfunctioned, been out of ammo, et cetera. Yeah, true. I mean, in this case, that's really all they had. Could have been a good blunt force object too, no different than a baseball bat. But certainly having your own firearm would be significantly preferable. So next time you go to work and you leave that gun at home, you know, think about this one. Yeah. I, I saw that comment as well from Christopher. I'm, I'm glad you shared it. Uh, yes, it was risky using the suspect's weapon, but I don't know if, I mean, what, what, what better choice did he have? Uh, you got to use whatever you can use. And, and like you just said, certainly it'd be better to have your own weapon on your person ready for use and you're trained and prepared to use it and defend uh, your life or the lives of others. But in this case, the man saw an opportunity, stepped in quickly, did the right thing. I, I think absolutely by picking up that shotgun and making use of it. Had it malfunctioned, maybe, you know, cause that's a, that's a fair point too. Maybe the suspect put the shotgun down because it had a malfunction uh, maybe you pick it up and you go, ah, crap, that's not working, but turn that sucker into a club. I mean, clearly he was probably close enough to, to be able to, to reach this man, the shooter. Um, there's, there's just cause a, a gun is not functioning. Doesn't mean that you're done and out of the fight. So really good thoughts and comments from you all today. Appreciate you listening to the podcast. Jacob, do you have any last remaining thoughts before we wrap it up? Nope, not today. I'm pretty excited about what we have coming up later this week though. And obviously about next week as well. So I'll leave you to uh, drop, drop, the, drop the mic on those. 
Yeah, yeah. So real quick, though, before I get to that, our sponsors just want to give one more mention of, of our of our episode sponsors today, GuardianNation.com. We hope that you'd uh, check out Guardian Nation if you haven't already. I know many of you are already members, uh, and we do appreciate you. I know Charlie, who's uh, been uh, viewing live via Facebook today, he's, he's a member, and we're really appreciative of him and many others. Um, check out GuardianNation.com for the best in online training, continuing education, and the awesome gear that we also send you once a quarter too. That's that's good stuff. Uh, we'll likely lock down some new products that we'll be able to maybe put in our next box at Shot Show. That's the other big thing. Uh, I'll I'll touch on in just a minute about Shot Show and our schedule there. Andrew Brink is the law of self defense. Appreciate Andrew for being a sponsor of today's episode as well. ConcealedCarry.com/losd is it where you can find more about Andrew Branca and his program, The Law of Self-Defense. And just real quick, um, also Pig Lube is another sponsor of ours. You'll see it in our online store, concealedcarry.com forward slash pig lube. will take you to our store where you can see uh, whether it's the pig lube and the half ounce squeeze tube, uh, pig lube solvent uh, and the lubricant combo pack or that cool little compact cleaning kit that I showed on the screen earlier as well. Law of self-defense, just once again, coming back to that, you'll see when you go to that link, concealedcarry.com forward slash LOSD, you'll see that there's a a link where you can sign up for Andrew's live classes, which he holds all across the country. Check out the schedule there. You can also buy all sorts of online training from Andrew uh, about uh, his law of self-defense training and also the book. If you want, if you're interested in that as well, you can find all of that. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash LOSD. So now I'll come back to SHOT Show. Next week, we are going to be recording on site some podcasts, uh, podcast interviews, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we will be on Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon. Uh, remind me of the time, Jacob, 4.30, I think it is, at Safari Land. Correct. 4.30 local time, so Pacific time. Yeah, yeah. So Las Vegas time, 4.30. We'll be at Safari Land's booth. We'll be recording live right there on site from Safari Land. That's pretty exciting. On Wednesday, we are going to be at Springfield Armory on their stage from 1 to 5 p.m. with the exception of 2 to 2.45 p.m. when uh, Rob Latham and Rob Pincus are doing a demonstration is my understanding. But come by Springfield Armory as well on Wednesday afternoon from 1 to 5 p.m. and uh, say hello. We'll have some swag we can uh, give out, some stickers and different things. Uh, so we hope to see you at SHOT Show. If you're, if you're able to be there, if you're part of the industry and you're able to get access to SHOT Show, come say hello. Safari Land, Tuesday afternoon, 4.30 p.m. Springfield Armory from 1 to 5 p.m. We do have one or two additional places we'll be recording, but I haven't got like a real solid firm confirmation. They've said yes. I just don't have the exact times yet. So I'm holding off on saying where we're going to be exactly uh, those other, those other times, but we hope to see you at SHOT Show and we'll be checking out all the new products. We'll be doing some other podcast uh, recordings while we're there reporting on, on the newest, latest hitting, hitting the industry. Uh, The other exciting thing though, that Jacob, I think you were alluding to uh, Thursday, we are doing another episode, and that one, oh, I promise we're going to go live at 11 a.m. Mountain Time on Thursday, um, and that's partly because I, I do have an appointment set up with uh, Mr. 
uh, Jackson at Tier 3 Tactical. Jake Jackson at Tier 3 Tactical is going to come on the podcast with a special interview. He, he, we're going to talk about an interview, or excuse me, an article that he wrote recently, I think is really interesting and eye-opening, where he looked at a number of self-defense shootings and looked and really took a statistics-based approach. And that was kind of a little bit of inspiration for me to go back and look at a lot, a lot of the stories we've shared in the past on the podcast uh, so that we can kind of see and compare numbers on that a little bit. Some of what he found is eye-opening, I think. I think it's game-changing. And I think some of this, many, many in the industry already were aware of or thinking about or have been teaching but this is the first time I've seen it presented in a very clear and statistically based way that I think makes some pretty compelling cases as far as like you might want to be rethinking what you're carrying as far as a, a weapon or maybe even how you're carrying it or maybe some of the tactics or things that, that you might use. That may, some of your, I think your opinions are going to be changed on some of this because of this interview we will have on Thursday at 11 a.m. Mountain Time be live on Facebook. And of course, we'll have the, the audio feed posted to the podcast um, later as well. So exciting interview. Are you going to be part of that too, Jacob? We'll see. No promises. All right. Well, with that, it is time to wrap it up for another episode. Episode number 191 of the Concealed Carry Podcast. We thank all of those that have joined us uh, live today. And we thank all of you listening at home or work or on, on your daily commutes uh, via the podcast, please uh, continue to, uh, uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast or subscribe to our Facebook Live notifications where we hope to see you very soon. So with that, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things can be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.